This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I'm in New Jersey this week, and I'm sitting down with the founder and brewer of one of the more traded breweries, one of the more sought-after breweries in the state, one of the more, uh, let's say, creative breweries these days, Bob Olson, Robert Olson of Bolero Snort. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Right off the bat... What the hell is a Bolero snort? <laughs> this is uh, my partner Scott's favorite story to tell. Um, back as a home brewer, we, uh, my first couple of beers were dicey to say the least, but they all bore a, uh, my, my resemblance in some sort of photorealistic form on the bottle. So my friends were kind of j- chiding me saying that it didn't matter how good the beer was, good or bad, you know, nobody was going to drink it if I kept putting my face on it. So... <laughs> Uh, strictly as a home brewer before there were any aspirations of making this a real thing. Um, it, you know, plugged my name into an anagram maker, made it as far as Bolero snort. Somebody said you could do a, a bull wearing a, a jacket and I guess the rest like a is, matador's jacket. yeah, and the rest is history. Um, we've, we've since kind of done away with that very complex logo, I think all for the better, but, uh, we still, uh, the bull lives on in basically everything we live and do. In yeah, I'm going to talk to you about naming beers uh, as, as we go on. I, I'd be remiss to say, because I, I, I've known you for, for many years now, and we've had this conversation uh, over, over many beers, so it's good that it's earlier in the day and we, we haven't even finished our first yet. But just because you could go with that name doesn't necessarily mean you know, that, that, that you should have. Um, I, Having to explain your name over and over and over again to people and to have the story of like an anagram, like is it is it endearing to people or is it have you found that it's been a tougher road to climb? Because naming is everything these days with 6,500 breweries out there. You stand out on one level, but you also like make people scratch their heads on another. That's a. I, don't know, I guess I've never looked at it from that standpoint. Back, back when we back back when I was just a home brewer and the name was uh, created, um, I wasn't thinking of that, and then. As a home brewer, and that's, I mean, we met through one of those nice clubs that yeah, one of the local kind of blended, you know, brewers clubs. and home brewers and, and people the in the industry. Like yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so we, we had kind of started to build this brand before um, actually making it a brand. And so I think with what we, we decided five and a half years ago or whatever it was that it was better to stick with it and make it work than try and change it. I don't know if... I could go back five years in time and say, Bob, you know, maybe this isn't the right path if it, if it would be different or not. Um, but you know, I mean, we're, we're making it work. Um, I think as with most things that we do, starting a conversation is what we're all about, you know? So the fact that people are like, what the hell is a Bolero snort is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing because it's a way to start a conversation and kind of, you know, leads into everything that we do just kind of being fun. So, you know, it's, it's fun and whimsical as, a, a wonderful uh, in, individual in the industry has once uh, coined us. So, how long were you homebrewing before you first opened, or uh, you brewed your first batch professionally? Uh, it was four or five years of homebrewing um, before. Yeah, and I mean, a couple hundred batches. It was uh, 
you know, on a weekly basis, a couple batches of beer, really just dialing things in or a mix of dialing things in and a lot of experimentation. When did you hit the point of it being going from a hobby to being a potential career? And then after that point, what was it that spurred you to finally, you know, pull the trigger, get the license, uh, you know, and actually become a professional brewery? Uh, what, what, what was that step of evolution? Well, I, I, I think we, we got the license well before it became my, uh, <laughs> my actual career. I, uh, I moonlighted as both a, a brewer and uh, doing a, an office job during the day for, for many moons. It was only about a year ago that Bolero kind of came became full-time because it, it needed that. Um, but, you know, go, circling back to the, the yeah. question, I mean... It, it, it was a long path, but I wasn't, you know, I, I moved back from college. I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I went to school for finance and engineering and, you know, the bottom of the market was there when I was looking for a job. So I uh, started working for a family business in construction and I mean, just wasn't happy or it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Uh, fell into home brewing and kind of thought, well, this was fun and it was just a hobby initially and it was uh the new jersey uh beer company down in north bergen mm-hmm. uh, they had their launch event at the copper mine pub rest in peace yeah it was a great pub uh great 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 beer bar which when i was getting into beer and home brewing was kind of like our our weekly or multi-day during the weekly haunt mm-hmm. um and so went to the their launch event there i guess seven or eight years ago whatever it was and was like well, if these knuckleheads can do it, then maybe I can too. So, so it was seeing somebody else do it. Somebody who was uh, Matt Steinberg was one of the original uh, uh, owners in that place and one of the original brewers, and and he sort of just picked himself up by his bootstraps and and, and did it as well. So it was seeing. It, it was almost like just like not like a lemming thing, but seeing that it, it was a possibility. Yeah, I mean, just having. I mean, I remember being in that bar and being like, I can't even go talk to this guy. Like he's a brewer, he's a celebrity, right? I'm just this meager home brewer. <laughs> Um, and you know, my wife being like, just go talk to him. Like, you know, and then, you know, by the end of the night, you know, I had met his parents and, you know, we, we, uh, was getting roped into coming and cleaning kegs and, yeah. uh, you know, all that sort of good stuff. But it was, you know, here's a real person that was, you know, took the risk and I kind of looked at where I was and had the right support system around me and said, well, why not take a run at it? The risk is something that I don't know if it's talked about enough in this whole thing because it, 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 beer is romantic and the idea of owning your own business or starting your own business or starting something from scratch uh, has a lot of romantic connotations to it and I think that when you finally get into into it for real in the real life uh, spreadsheets and HR and worrying about the beer out in the wild and everything else like that some of the romance some of the the, the, the bloom kind of comes off the rose uh, a, a little bit um, and people are thinking about it as as a job, yes, but more fun than risk. Uh, it, it has been my experience in talking with a lot of uh, folks who were your size at one point and who, who, who jumped into it and then said, like, you know, the hardest thing that they learned was that, you know, they had to run a business. Um, you know, you being in finance, you being in engineering, you, you having some of this background of working at, uh, at a company where, you know, small family company where you saw the, the, the blood, sweat and tears that, that went into everything. Um, how do you think that that sets you up or, or you know, or how, like, I guess the better question is how do you prepare the brewers these days who might see you at an event uh, and be nervous about coming up to you like you were with Matt? Uh, what would you say to them about the risk versus the reward? Um, 
I mean, the reward is certainly there. We wouldn't be doing it, right? And you mentioned it's fun, right? Like, it's a fun industry. We get to, you know, people always see us in the fun things. So I think some people are disillusioned to the amount of work that goes into things. You know, if you ever only ever go to a tap takeover and see a brewer, a sale, you know, they've like, you know, worked 14 hours and switched things around to be able to make it to that event to, you know, drink and talk to people. And it's not like it's a chore at that point, right? Like that's fun to go do and interact with people and share what you've worked so hard at. But there is that, you know, insane amount of work that you have to do to get that. So um, I would encourage anybody thinking to get into it to spend some time at a brewery and see that, you know, it's not all fun. It's a lot of cleaning. It's, you know, on the paperwork side of things, it's... And it's I guess that's the bigger load, thing, right? So. It's it's the office work. It's the it's the actual you're rolling your eyes as I'm saying it. But like but you see the gray you can't see the gray hairs, but <laughs> it's the beauty of audio, yeah. But that but that's definitely I think one of the things that needs to be talked about more. No, oh, it's and, just, more. and it's if you're the one do if you're at the top of the, the ship as I, I am for our company, I mean it, it's an exorbitant amount of paperwork and you can outsource some, if not all of it, it's just gonna cost you a lot of money, which when you're small and starting out, you know, you get to pick and choose where you're spending it. So you could have an accountant do all your filings or you can figure out how to fill your, you know, tax reports out every other month. And, uh, you know, it just, it takes time and, you know, you learn how to do it and you gain a little efficiencies. There's really fancy programs that help streamline it. But I mean, we do up until this point, basically everything using Excel and Google sheets and, you know, kind of very streamlined in a tight budget. Um, I'm looking forward to having like real process and adult things when, when our new space opens. But, uh, you know, it's gotten us by and I, I don't, I wouldn't say that that's where your money could best be spent. I'd say if you have extra money, go spend a thousand dollars on promoting your brand or better tap handles or giveaways than necessarily paying, you know, 150 bucks for one of the, the softwares when you're starting out. Cause you can get by. Um, I mean, that's just, is that one of the, the bigger lessons that you've learned? Uh, I mean, I don't know how much of it was available, right? I mean, it, it's, sure. it is as much as we're not in this this long, it's the market has changed and, you know, what's available to you has drastically changed over the past five years. So going back and why with this new space, I'm like, we're going to probably overbuy on the software side because we've gone without for so long. But I also don't want to have to retroactively put everything in with this new space. So I guess if you can afford it, it's there's some advantage, you know, you're not going through two or three or six months of integration yeah. when you're up and running and don't have time. Um, You've mentioned this new space now uh, four times by my account. Um, for, for those who don't know, I you, didn't think you, I was plugging it that much. No, it's, uh, well, <laughs> you're excited by it. You, you've been a contract brewer from the beginning. Yes. Uh, back, back when we started that licensing process, uh, New Jersey was a little bit different legally. Um, you couldn't, sell pints or any more than two six packs worth of beer direct to consumer so um, when we were starting that process out we said well we could go we could afford to buy like a nano system but we're never going to be able to keep our full-time day jobs brew enough beer and sell on a small scale you know nanotype scale out on wholesale you just couldn't survive or we couldn't i mean we didn't have the resources i guess i mean people do right you look at barrier when they started out it was you know two two guys and a you know 17 little one barrel fermenters and they made it work um we you know that we looked at that path and thought that you know for us going this contract gypsy model would be the better way to get a little bit wider from print um especially because it let us financially keep our jobs 
in the beginning. And you, you bought your own tanks and would just move them into breweries, right? You had your own fermenters? Yeah, like I said, five years ago, it was a much different market. You know, yeah. we were just kind of at the beginning of this this heavy growth phase. So there were less options available when it came to fermentation space. So uh, we, I remember, God, it was such an arduous process trying to find. I remember calling you and being like, who do you know that might be willing to contract brew? And I mean, certain things were either too large or too far out or too far away. For us logistically um so we found high point brewing up in butler uh they're Ramstein, around 20 yeah. years making you know great german beers mm-hmm. and um greg up there was like well i have time on my brew house but i don't have fermentation space so we started by buying you know a 30 barrel fermenter and we put that in a couple months after we had some cash coming in we bought a second one to add some variety and and volume and so we we operated you know into our own tank space for a long time until breweries started popping up everywhere and you know everybody I guess has illusions of grandeur when they start or you know you usually want to install things when you're starting out a little bit more than where you think you're going to be day one so that created production gaps in new startups or some of our friends spaces that we took advantage of and yeah um, I mean it it's great it's part of why we are so immersed in this community is because we rely on so many other people um to make our, our beers happen. And you've bounced around to a few places since then. Yeah, we've we've had a couple different primary production sites, and then we always sprinkle in other beers, um, depending on what's available or what our, our demands are from the market. What have been the largest challenges with that? Is it just time on somebody else's brew house? Is it, you know, worrying about... Conditions. I, I, I can it, only pick up just one. Well, um, no, you can. We got time. <laughs> I think um, this is really interesting. Again, this is one of those things that I think people aren't always thinking. Of. You know, contract brewing is contract brewing. You know, some people think, but there's so many variables and there's so many different things that, uh, you know, we've seen contract brands, sole contract brands, come and go. Um, and some have been really successful for a while, and then uh, others, you know, have have you know, eventually petered out. I mean, Pretty Things up in Massachusetts was a sole contract brand that was well beloved, uh, but eventually the overhead just became, you know, too great. So, um, you know, I think they're they're talking about their own space over in England right now, but... uh, Well, I think that's why you see a lot of people starting to ultimately settle down. I mean, when you look at the challenges, and I mean, you know, we've worked with a lot of good breweries. I mean, I, I think the experience has been phenomenal for us. But at the end of the day, you're always on somebody else's schedule, um, and that's not always the best thing for the beer or for you know your sanity. So, sure, it can it can limit your um, overall business. It does. It's if if I told you you know I'm going to give you this great great cut of steak and you can cook it you know you're going to cook it yourself, but you have to cook it for three minutes on each side no matter what at this temperature. Maybe you like it medium rare. Maybe you like it well done. Maybe it's a little thicker than the steak I gave you yesterday. doesn't matter. You have to brew it this day. It needs to be canned this day. And and that's how we operate. And we've been able to, um, you know, we've learned a lot along the way to improve there. But that's why I think that's the thing I'm the most excited about once we open this space is, you know, being in charge of it grain to glass. And I know there's a lot of pressure that comes along with now being in charge of it grain to glass. Yeah. But we'll be able to taste it and say it's ready or it needs more. And so I think, you know, what we're doing now is, is really exciting and it's only going to get better once, once we're in charge of it and part of every day on it, you know, I'm out, I'm out on our host sites, depending on where it is weekly, biweekly checking on things. How many different sites do you have right now? 
uh, we're brewing at like three pretty consistent, two or three pretty wow. consistently. Okay. Um, which is fun when you like order hops and you know, the vendors send it to the wrong place and you're like, I put it in the email. Am I going crazy or did somebody else screw up? So, so then you got to go get the van. I got to go. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're either like, you know, driving from, you know, New Jersey to Pennsylvania with yeast in a cooler to make sure, you know, it gets into the beer that's being brewed because it was supposed to show up to the right place or yeah. hops that, I mean, we're driving around all the time anyway. So hopefully, you know, we ordered it in time and it's not under the gun, but things always happen. And now, you know, yeah, we're I not mean, just things happen home. on a normal brew day if you have your own place, but if you're operating out of three different, that's got to be, uh, that definitely has its own challenges. I as look well. forward to just having one place of challenges as opposed to multiple places of challenges and multiple personalities to deal with. And so I know this space that you're moving into, you've broken ground on, or you've demolished the existing building and a new building's going up uh, uh, fairly soon if it hasn't started already. Oh, you're rolling your eyes again. <laughs> have you guys thought about a system? Have you guys thought about what you're going to get? and how big and what your plans are for it? Yeah, so um, we we were going to be settling down in the Meadowlands. Um, it's a unique the swamps situ- of Jersey. The, the swamps in New Jersey. We have a uh, the line on how many bodies we find during excavation is two and a half, with half accounting as a bonus. <laughs> um, I've already instructed every contractor we've met with at this point that if they find a body to keep going, because I'm not putting this building off any longer. <laughs> We'll just deal well, with it. Well, you're a real humanitarian. That's really great. Yeah. Come see our haunted tap room of, you know, yeah, New Jersey's mob past. But uh, the the old building was knocked down. Originally, we were planning on renovating. And when we got into it, it was just too much. So we're going to be starting with a, a clean slate, which is good, but adds its own layer of pressure and a mm-hmm. lot of things to do where, you know, I'm running the, the Gypsy brand right now and also basically project managing that. So it's... Uh, what size system will you guys put it in? Uh, so the building itself will be about 14,000 square feet, and okay. then we're doing a 30-barrel brew house wow. from uh, Quality Tanks okay. out in the Midwest. So, um, And fermenters to match, obviously, and brights yes, to match. Yes, 60s and 90s to start in the That's space. ambitious. Well, I mean, we're brewing you know, a couple 90-barrel batches a month right now on 30-barrel systems. How much did you guys put out last year? Uh, last year we did around 1500 barrels and we're on pace to do somewhere between three and 3,300 this year. So, um, this space will be, have the capacity in its first year open to do somewhere between 6,500 and 7,000 barrels. So whether that's all Bolero and I mean, we'll pick up right now, everything we sell is on the wholesale side. So Mm -hmm. we'll get that added in-house boost. I mean, who knows what that'll do to the, the market around it. We, you know, have a pretty heavy retail distribution footprint. So I don't know how it'll retract, but I think in theory we'll sell a little more out of our in-house. Hopefully it doesn't really impact what we sell out of house and, you know, well, that's the that thing should right help now. us bridge the gap and hopefully continue to grow. Is, because there are certain Facebook groups uh, that talk about New Jersey beer. Um, they're brutal. They're so mean. They're so you mean. You want to feel better about yourself. <laughs> Read, read what they say about groups. somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> we have a um, whole beer because of some of these Facebook groups. Do uh, you really? Yeah, that's what Cyberbullied was kind of uh, inspired by. But you know, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you look at very close, we have a an IPA called Cyberbullied, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, why would you call something negative?" Well, we it's to call <laughs> attention and start a conversation, and we donate actually a portion of the proceeds from every batch of that that we do to the Cyber Smile Foundation, which is a worldwide organization that fights cyberbullying. So, um, but it was inspired by like, you know, I, I, I grew up fat. I have really thick skin. You know, anything you say is not ultimately going to hurt my feelings. You could try as you want, yeah. but 
you know, it, it's just beer at the end of the day. And I think that's what's great about this and why we have 7,000 breweries is you could say this is the best beer that you've ever had. And I could say it tastes like garbage water and neither of us is wrong and that's okay. But in New Jersey, you have to fight about it. And here we have these great Facebook groups where people, you know, hide behind their keyboards and say whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I'm a member of some of these groups, and every once in a You're while, a I get yeah, no, I get I get tagged <laughs> in some of these things, and I always respond, but uh, I yeah, I try to I try to stay out of the fray as much as possible because uh, I don't need I don't need it in in, in the morning. Oh, it's, but uh, it's pretty it's pretty good morning. Uh, you know, you can read up on the drama of the industry and yeah. who's not talking to who anymore. It's it's like high school clicks. Like oh you. You said you don't like this brewery anymore, so now we can't be friends. Like, really? This, this, <laughs> this, this, is, this is what, what life, we're drawing the line This on. is what life has come to. But you know, so, Cyberbullied, if you look very closely on it, there's a, it's it's the the label looks as if it's shot from within the computer screen, and the bull is kind of crying on the front of it, and the lighting is like you know he's in his mom's basement watching <laughs> a drain pour video and looking at a un, it's called uncapped instead of untapped, and yeah. it's like all like half stars and zeros, so. Uh, it's a fun label, you know. I mean, we don't. It, I think it's a good beer, and we're trying to do something. What positive else is in the beer? It. It's just an IPA. It's a okay. zero IBU, so only only late edition. Um, okay. Hopping. What I was going to say with these with these groups, though, is it's usually filled with uh, Bolero can drops. You know, uh, you know where has this beer landed? Because uh, you guys put out a lot of beers, uh, a lot of different beers. It, it's dizzying to, to keep up with. And I want to talk about recipes in a minute. But when people are actively running out to liquor stores, to package stores, to uh, to get your beer, or if something's been on tap, and you know everybody's sharing that information, uh, and you, you sort of captured that lightning in a bottle right now of you know who like, you know does the super buy right have you know your new lemon drop pop or does it have you know like whatever it is, um, are you concerned of now having your own space where, or do you think it'll work to your benefit of being able to have people? come to you because there's a certain expectation for brewery only releases now you know and people lining up outside and uh you know are, are you looking to try to get some of that with your own place or is it more an opportunity to branch out from what you're doing right now like what like what's your hope it, you know you have you have the attention of a lot of the super nerds right now which is which is great and it's a tough thing to do is that something that you're hoping to continue to keep on with or is building a new place a natural evolution in I think I don't I, know life. I could probably spend an hour talking about trying to answer like seven different things from that. Okay. <laughs> um I mean don't take that long. Yeah, no, like, I, I understand that. Um so so right now we that's our only way to get information out. So it's saying, hey, here's where we're putting the beer is no different than saying, hey, we're releasing it at the brewery for us right now. So I mean, that's why it exists and we really push it because we don't get to say, hey, come come visit us to get this really cool, fun new beer. Um, I think that's why that exists. Um, part of why we put new stuff out all the time and why it's, it's different is it having stock beer based on the very, very tiny space that we have right now is just not, it's a logistical nightmare. Um, so we, we rely heavily on storing at contract sites when we have something like our OVB that we always have in stock or our region bull, which is a draft only amber that we always have in stock. I mean, with our current space, it's tough to have a couple of core brands because we just physically don't have the space to store it, you know, brew and store or find 
consistent small tanks to brew it, you know, in smaller batches and keep it super fresh. So yeah. um, part of why we have this this varietal is based on the very back end, like trucking logistics and what, what we're able to get from contract sites um, and just manage getting delivered. So um, that'll definitely change. I think we'll have some of our favorite beers that are brewed more frequently and more readily available, and those will still go to stores. Um, there's probably people that'll smack me and say it's stupid and we're potentially walking away from money, but I'm the type that we're never going to turn our back on our retail partners that have gotten us to this point. So while I'm sure we will have some special releases that you can only get at our brewery, there will also be some special releases that will only be available at our partners because we don't get where we are today without them. And I'm not going to turn my back on them just because I, I built this new building. That's not how Bolero operates. And you know, that's not fair to our consumers. Sometimes it's nice to be able to just drive to your local liquor store and pick it up and not have to wait on a line. And I think what we do have a lot of people who are very passionate about craft beer, our brand and part of where I think a lot of our growth comes from is we have a pretty good mix and we have some very fun and approachable beers that I think attract people that aren't the ones on the Facebook groups or, you know, listening to great podcasts like this, but just enjoy drinking beer and see a fun label or a flavor that stands out to them and pick it up. And I think that's where the largest segment of growth is as this industry grows is that more casual consumer. And I mean, we're going to continue to do fun things that we think appeal to our inner craft beer nerd, but we're also going to do things that we think are going to get more people drinking craft instead of Bud Miller Coors or drinking regional or locally as opposed to national. You know, I mean, that's that's what. So the thing that I've been having known your brand from the beginning and, and you started off with uh, with an amber lager, which that's, I guess yeah. is now an ale. Uh, yes, it, but it was an amber lager early was. on by by virtue of brewing at Ramstein. It's, it's actually still a lager. Is it still? I'm a sorry lager? if I said it L, but because okay. we just did a different amber L. But yes, it's Raging Bull is the only beer that we started with five and a half years ago that we still make today. Okay, but that was a fairly and still is a fairly straightforward drinking beer. Like that's like sort of like your everyday go to. Have it in your fridge, like. Uh, no frills, just a good solid citizen of the world. It's a uh, beer and a burger type of beer. It's, right. you know, got a little more, it's what I remember fat tire being like five years ago. It has some flavor to it. It's got a little nuance of chocolate to it. It's, but it's, it's meant to, you know, it's a Sunday through Thursday drinking beer. You can have a couple of them and still function the next day and go to work. But yeah. it's, I'm having a burger, I'm having a steak, you know, it's just a, a no frills, in my opinion, well-made amber. It's one of those. So then I started to notice over time, you guys started experimenting with casks and you were sending cask beer out to uh, to bars and you guys were starting to, to shove all sorts of wacky ingredients in it. So, you know, here's our Raging Bowl, here's our, you know, our amber that has, you know, boysenberries in it or fresh chocolate beans or, you know, or any number of things. And we've, and we've definitely used both of those. Things. Sure. <laughs> but like, you know, and then building off of that, but it was always sort of these special variations on casks and, uh, and people started to line up for it. And then it seemed like the natural progression for you guys was to really go and try to conquer this current flavor craze you know uh um you guys were almost doing pastry stouts even though there weren't a lot of stouts as, as i recall um before pastry stouts was a thing but but flavored flavored beers to mimic 
existing uh, confectionery items uh, to, to mimic uh, existing food items uh, to, to mimic an existing mood. You guys were doing that, I mean, four four years ago. Yeah, I mean, if you, um, I could show you my homebrew log, and if you look at most of what I homebrewed, it was what I made. I mean, I one of my favorite, my guilty pleasures back in the day, and now I can't even remember how many years it's been since I've had a pumpkin ale, but I used to love pumpkin ales. When I first got into craft beer, I liked the flit, you know, and now I... I probably saturated myself on it, but part of the love of being a home brewer was, you know, it'd be like March and I'm like, Oh, I just finished the last bottle of pumpkin brew. I guess I'm going to brew it again this week so I can, can stock up. You're but, doing it year round. Uh, I was, yes, okay. just for personal <laughs> consumption back in the day. Um, but I mean, I did a oatmeal crazing cookie beer. We did, I did a wee heavy, but it was spiced like a fruitcake and bourbon barrel aged as a homebrew. So, I mean, those things so from were, the beginning though, you were inspired by these things where there's some homebrewers that are just, uh, they're striving for the technical. We're drinking this wickle right now, uh, uh, which, which is, is phenomenal by the way, quite nice. Um, uh, but there's some homebrewers that strive for that. You were almost from the beginning trying to be. It's what I like to drink, and when you homebrew a lot, you have to drink a lot to keep up with continuing to homebrew a lot or have a lot of friends that are willing to drink, which means cleaning and uh, filling a lot of bottles um, with labels that no longer had my face. But, uh, I mean, that's just always what inspired me. And then uh, a friend of mine was like, well, you can't brew, you know, a regular beer. You only put – I remember being challenged as a homebrewer. I'm like, I did this ESB that was – dynamite and i mean i would love to be able to brew an esb right now it's just nobody will want to buy it uh yes the, the especially snarky bull so we're gonna get to names don't worry about it but <laughs> but but that's the thing nobody wants to buy it. so these days you're finding success off of key lime pie beers and uh you have a uh, a creamsicle beer though we can't call it creamsicle you uh, can i'm not going you're to. not allowed to <laughs> you've gotten a, a cease and desist from the makers of the orange vanilla uh summertime popsicle treats yes which you now call it what a uh, cream pop cream IPA. pop yes a cream pop ipa um because spelling it with a k does not save you from violating the trademark <laughs> but that's what people want these days it seems like there there's a huge audience um for that how, how how are you continuing to keep your finger on the pulse of new flavor combinations to hit you know how do you go from oatmeal cranberry cookies to uh creamsicles to key lime pie to um i mean you guys are always coming out with uh, you guys do like two new beers a week it seems like this uh, we, we our release cycle is we have usually four or five beers out over the course of a month and usually one or two of them is new or a new iteration and then two or three of them are or something we've never done before so or, how are you keeping up with that and where <laughs> like where are you guys going to tap that well um it's uh, a little bit of all things. I mean, I rely on some of the stuff I did back in my homebrew days, or sometimes it's an ingredient. But um, where the ideas come up from, I mean, it's just sitting around, or you know, maybe it's I was down by my parents over the weekend and we tried some new cocktail, and it you know it was rhubarb and rosemary, and oh man, those flavors just worked well together. That would be great in a saison. I mean, that's it's usually either you know, it's an experience, I guess, right? You had another beer that made you think of something, or you had a you went to dinner at this bougie place and it had, you know, you had this great dessert that had these flavors that maybe you've never mixed before. Sure. Um, and we've been growing, so we now have some new team members. So that kind of has breathed some new light in. We did, um, we have our, our cream pop series that we just did a coconut variant of um, that was our newest guy or newest guy at that point was like, well, have you ever tried doing a coconut version? I'm like, well, no, and I love coconut. And we've done pina bolada, which has some of those flavors. So we... We had some experience with it, and so, so we said, "Well, let, let's try it and see how it, 
how it works. And uh, I love it. And John Hall will hate that beer. <laughs> um, so things like that. We just did a, uh, but I'll an, try it. A, sm- yeah. a smoked amber ale with uh, pineapple, a little bit of cinnamon that was, you know, it was kind of like when you have grilled pineapple, like, you know, summer, like some fresh fish or something like that. So um, fl- flavors that are invoked or make you think of or pair well with. And you have this this almost contract with your regular customers these days, with your drinkers these days, that they will they'll trust you now at this point. Because it's not like you have a tasting room at this point where you can do, you know, you can have a three-barrel pilot system. I mean, you're making big batches at a time, so you have to commit, hopefully knowing that uh, your regular customers will follow along with you because you've impressed them so far. Yeah, I mean, I think you see in general... Um, you know, people aren't necessarily brand loyal or maybe they're brand loyal, but they're not skew loyal. Um, so because people want to try new things and, you know, so once you gain somebody's trust, uh, I mean, it works both ways, right? Once you piss somebody off and they say, I've tried a couple and I don't like it, or sometimes it's, I tried one and I don't like it and I'll never touch it again. And it's like, well, maybe you just don't like IPAs with fruit in them or, you know, it's too sweet, but it doesn't mean there's not something worth revisiting. Um, how much are you using real ingredients versus extracts? The, it depends on some of the feasibility of it, but we use real whenever we can. We've dealt with certain products. Um, you know, they're too, there's too much oil um, that will just you can't offset it with. Doesn't, ma- doesn't matter thing. how much, you know, oats and wheat and garapils and, you know, foam re- head retention type things you put into the beer, you're not going to offset it. So um, in certain in- instances, but it's, it's probably a, a heavier proponent on, on real. I mean, I can have my wife tell you how I've ruined our, our coffee table, sanitizing it to scrape vanilla beans late at night. Cause <laughs> that's the only time I actually have to do it. And, uh, it ruins the finish. So, so, but it- I mean, you're not apologetic about extracts, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of benefits to using some of these candy flavors. I, I mean, usually with the candy stuff, it's all real, right? I mean, we just did our on the range, which we did in a tiny batch last year. Um, we just brewed it again at a, a little bit bigger clip um, for for this, you know, upcoming fall season. So, yes, we do put Jet Puff marshmallows in it, and um, you know, throw some some graham cracker crumbles, but. If you look at like the sugar contributions of that and where it falls in terms of the poundage of grist, it's yeah. I, I don't want to say it's 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 gimmicky because it does impact the flavor slightly, mm-hmm. but we're usually doing that in conjunction with formulating a recipe or using other more natural adjuncts, right? Like we'll put some marshmallows in it, but it's a couple boxes of them, and then we're putting five pounds of vanilla to give you that marshmallow flavor. But the but the for for the Instagram generation and for the social media posts and for the like it, it looks better if you're tossing it. It looks better and it's it's yeah. also fun to do. Plus we're fat and we eat some on the sides. So I mean it all works out. But but yes, I mean some of it is, is for the Instagram um, you know, it's it's just to get people excited about it. It's no different than putting a picture that looks really nice. It's, you know, it's a video of something fun going into the fermenter. Yeah. I mean, people put fried chicken into things, you know. I, <laughs> All well, sorts of crazy things. So a couple Sour Patch Kids or, you know, a few graham crackers are not going to hurt anybody. But you need to have a base recipe and you need to have the other ingredients that can actually boost that up. I mean, unless you're going to put levels that I'm not at least comfortable or maybe our host sites aren't comfortable putting in. You know, I mean, there's people that I saw uh, some brewery that they bought like 
I don't know what kind of juice it was, but it's some like unnaturally flavored juice and use that instead of water. Like, I mean, there's something to be said. You could probably make a good beer with that, but that's not what we typically do. We put a little bit of that stuff in and then, you know, like on the range uses a lot of a little bit of honey malts, some caramel malts to evoke those different, you know, biscuits to get some of those graham crackery type flavors. Yeah. We use cocoa powder in the boil. We use cocoa nibs as part of the post-fermentation aging, um, you know, as opposed to putting, you know, a couple pounds of Hershey chocolate in because it looks good. Uh, you did mention fried chicken in a beer. You guys, uh, I don't know if it's come out yet, though. Uh, just uh, this the, weekend. <laughs> the, the chicken parm beer? Yes, that one, that one kind of got sprung on me. So <laughs> so your, your partner, Scott Wells, uh, in, the, in the brewery has uh, an affinity for chicken parm. He is a, a chicken parm aficionado is probably to... To, to, to classify it accurately. And somebody challenged him to he make and, one of these beers? Uh, he did, from, and Mike from Three Threes down in Hamilton. I don't know if it South was South Jersey, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, way, 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 way South Jersey. Yeah. Um, I guess they were at a festival and it was like a joke. And then, like, you know, Scott probably said it jokingly. And Mike, you know, I could just see it playing out, you know, of like, oh, I'll tell, we should do that. And Scott's like, really? You know, like, somebody's actually crazy enough to try this with me. So they've joked around about doing it for like a year and a half, two years on the festival circuit. And finally, Mike was like, hey, let's do it as a pilot. We got this cool beer dinner going on in Pennsylvania that is the only keg of it that's going out into the real world. So I got consulted on the recipe like two days before the brew was when I found out it was happening. But there's like, an Instagram video of them taking chicken parm and putting them into like ninja blenders and then throwing it into the mess. So that actually wasn't, they didn't, there's no chicken in it. Um, there's no bread in it. They, they, they put some other stuff that it's basically tomatoes that are that light. It looks pretty gnarly, but it does have tomatoes, you know, fresh Jersey tomatoes. It's got black pepper, oregano, basil, um, the, the one miss that I didn't think of until after they made it was that we should have put some like breadcrumb in the mash and, and okay. kind of evoke some of the flavor, but there's no chicken in that beer. Okay. Um, it's a, a French Saison. So, you know, some of those kind of fun, funkier flavors and I don't know, I'm, I'm a little scared of it to be quite honest, but it's, it was kind of Scott's little pet project. It's something fun and it's getting people talking. What are you guys um, calling it? They clucking did it. Or something <laughs> to that milieu. So, careful listeners uh, have have noticed that Bob has been dropping a lot of bovine names uh, for all of his his beers as as he's gone along. And and I'll never forget that uh, one of the first beers you ever did. In fact, it was probably the Amber early on, right? Uh, was called "There's No Rying in Baseball." Now that was one of our other like launch beers in the beginning. It was just a, a rye lager. That was the longest, most verbiose, at least back then, right? Like people sure. used to be like, "It's a sentence; it's not a beer name." Now it's like, well, it was also one of those things when I would say it out loud. I would be embarrassed as a as a grown man saying those words out loud. Should, everybody has seen a league of their own, and there's nothing wrong with I, I get it, admitting but, to but that. But you have committed to the bull puns and the bovine uh, naming and the farm convention uh, for. Everything like you've gone in all the way, and 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 Augie Carton of Carton sometimes Brewing here way in Jersey, too far, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and who's also on the Steal the Spear podcast, uh, equated you guys to in comedy that you know sometimes the, the second time you hear it is is, is funnier, um, uh, the second time you hear a joke it's funnier, uh, but in the case of Gilbert Gottfried, uh, it takes nine times of him drilling at home for you to finally get the laugh. And and he he's he's called you he's basically called you Gilbert Gottfried in that every single one of your beers 
has some sort of bull pun to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, I guess, kind of our thing. It's fun. Sometimes it's... Is it limiting? Is it... No, I mean, there's no shortage of words that you could put B-U-L-L instead of A-B-L-E, I-B-L-E, <laughs> or, you know, I mean, there's we'll never run out. I mean, legitimately, we have probably 100 lists on, like, our internal Bolero Google Keep list of, like, here's names that we don't know what beer they are yet, and... And sometimes that's how it works. Sometimes we're like, okay, we have this great beer idea, but how are we going to brand it that fits into a bullpun thing? And other times it's, we have this great name and we're like, well, that feels like this kind of beer and we haven't done that. And so, I mean, that's how we come up with, you know, what our production schedule looks like. It's, it's a mixture of, oh, this is a good beer pun or here's a good beer and what, what beer pun can we use with it? And, uh, some are worse than others without a doubt. There's yeah. a couple I'd probably go back. Yeah. There's more than, more than I can count on one hand. What cringeworthy. What's the one that, that comes forward as a cringeworthy one for you? Uh, we didn't ultimately go all the way with it, but we did, um, back, back in the, the high point days, we did a, a gingerbread spice ale, um, that we, it ultimately was just called ginger bull cookie, but I really wanted to call it ginger bull cow and I, I got vetoed down, and thank, thank, thank goodness God for that, because yeah. that might have been the. Uh, I'm trying to think which. Uh, I that, what, what which one are you most proud of? Most proud of? Like which one brings a smile to your face whenever you? I mean, like we. So we just put out. Um, it's one of my favorite IPAs. We do that's it's one hoof in front of the other, and it's kind of like a. Somebody's like, well, I wasn't at one hoof in front of the other, and I'm like, boom! Now we can put milk sugar <laughs> in it and have a different beer. That everybody will go run to retailers and buy, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but it's just, I really like the song. And I was like, oh, we can, you know, do this fun, splashy kind of label with, you know, it was a hot song last year. Um, and that's sort of the, 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 the fun thing is that I've noticed on all of these, uh, these forums and everything is that people will talk to you guys in bull puns. They will, they will talk to you in, in bovine had, language. We, we've had beer names come from Facebook conversations of like, why wouldn't you call it this? Or Augie was Augie from Carton was chiding me that we, we did a uh, Jurassic Park esque beer and we literally like, I'm like, should we call it, should we call it fallen cowdom? And I'm like, that sounds like cow and cows being dominatrixy. And uh, it just didn't work. And, I, we, we were at the point where like the label was done and we had to order it. And I'm like, I guess we're just going with Bolero Park. Cause like, and then somebody like was like, why didn't you do like Bullrassic Park? And I'm like, well, that probably would have been better. But where were you in the conversation? <laughs> you know, the group text at 11 o'clock at night when I was trying to finish this label that should have been ordered three days ago. Um, but we've had, I mean, plenty of beers inspired by or named after, you know, conversations on the internet. Cause just it's kind of how we operate. We're just fun and, and it's, it, it, it does help feed the sense of community around the beer. When you don't have an actual place where people can come and gather, uh, having these, these forums and having these places where people can join with you and have these conversations with you and, and sort of building a virtual tap room, as it were. Yeah, I mean, that's our only choice, right? We do a lot of festivals, sometimes ones that maybe don't make sense for um, – where we're at regionally or having accounts in that area. Right. Or, You've done but, the Alstrom's Extreme Beer Fest. You've done Hunapu. Yeah, You've the, done, yeah. The, those ones are real fun. But even some of the ones locally where we're like, well, we don't really have a lot of support in that area. You know, maybe this helps. Maybe it doesn't. Or it doesn't seem like it's the right crowd that goes to that beer festival. You know, whatever it might be. But that's our only time to really interact with customers. I mean, in-store tastings, tap takeovers. So, I mean, that's why we spend so much time on the Internet interacting is because we can't just say like, hey, come have that beer. We'll just... We're doing it digitally, I guess. Yeah. 
As we start to wrap up here, I've been asking folks uh, on this podcast, what's your hope for beer? For beer in general. Um, gosh, I, I think just continuing to move forward, um, you know, from a beer standpoint in terms of, you know, flavors that are challenging and exciting and appeal to people and continuing to help people see that independently owned and, you know, locally made stuff is exciting and, you know, getting people excited about that. Um, and then, I mean, quality, it, you know, they go hand in hand. You, it's fun to throw a lot of stuff into beer, but if the beer, you know, the underlying, you know, structure to the beer isn't right, if you're not doing things process wise the right way, I mean, it's the biggest thing, you know, every time you go to one of the conferences, it's, it's all they're talking about and it's the biggest, you know, so just, a general, you know, movement towards quality. I mean, it's, it's tough sometimes being tiny, but use your friends, use your resources around you. You know, we're very friendly. Like I said, we we're we don't brew beer without relying on others. So we're very friendly with all our other brewers in the area, but as much as people in New Jersey are mean, um, the beer community here is pretty tight. So, you know, we've already started talking about, well, if we buy a CMAX rayer and you have a PCL, you know, sharing those more expensive devices to make sure that you're, you know, putting your best foot out there because bad beer on the market hurts all of us just like good beer on the market helps all of us. So, Cool. Bob Olson of Bolero Snort, soon to be in the Meadowlands of New Jersey, but for right now, uh, where fine beer is sold uh, <laughs> in the in the Great Garden State and beyond. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks to the Dog and Cask here in Rochelle Park, which is off of Route 17 in New Jersey, just north of MetLife Stadium, where the Giants and the Jets play and uh, Springsteen rocks annually. Uh, thank you for them for opening up their back room for us to have this uh, this conversation. If you want to learn more about homebrewing and brewing in general and the beer industry overall, check out beerandbrewing.com, where while there you can see uh, original content and you can also subscribe to the magazine, which I hope you will do. Uh, if you have questions uh, for me, guests you'd like to hear, or overall comments or suggestions, you can reach me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beerandbrewing.com, or you can join the conversation on twitter at john underscore hall where can people find you bob uh all over all over the web um heavily on instagram facebook uh i i run our at bolero snort so b-o-l-e-r-o-s-n-o-r-t um that's where that's where we're at i don't have a personal one i just uh, having the the business smart. one is time consuming yeah, smart, enough, so. smart yeah don't don't bring that grief into your own life i, I try not to so um websites www.bolero.beer so <laughs> the www is, is is key thank you for it that is, in case you didn't know and thank you to all of you for listening and for supporting this uh, this podcast and independent media we'll be back next week with a brand new episode and uh thanks again cheers cheers This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew. 